Hi, everyone, and welcome to our podcast at the Rectory. I'm Ian. I'm Katie. And I'm Emily. We are three friends who at some point or another all lived in a tiny blue house in Cincinnati that we have affectionately named the Rectory. And together, we have filled it with... Memories. Long hours of PhD work. Parties. And a saggy three-legged couch we just can't seem to part with. I like that. Musical sting. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us at the Rectory this week. We are so pleased to welcome our dear friend and resident kind of of the Edge House adjacent. Um, We shared that space, Alice Connor. Thank you so much for coming. (laughs) I'm happy to be here. Um, Alice is just like, she wears many, many hats, and we're going to talk about most of them. Um, But we also are sitting with kind of hot off the presses, her newest book called Brave. Um, And she has a, a kind of first book called Fierce. And they're all about women in the Bible. And we are just going to kind of dive into these messages and these beautiful, beautiful texts. Um, And we're even going to read some quotes from them because, Alice, it's just so good. So we're so (laughs) grateful you're here. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. I'm I'm excited that you like it so far. Oh, yeah. Mm. Alice, can you give us a little bit of a kind of just like your background? Because it's really interesting and... Uh, maybe it gives us a sense of like why these books are so important to you. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So I am an Episcopal priest um, and I've been doing campus ministry for 13 years now. Um, and uh, I, I love the church and the Bible, but I have often felt as though my voice and my presence have not been um, not just like named, but also almost not wanted uh, within church circles. Um, I was just talking to somebody the other day about, um, using balanced language in worship, meaning not just using masculine language for God, uh, and also Mm -hmm. specifically not just using masculine language for human beings. Um, and there's, there's definitely folks who would hear that and be like, Oh, you're just like a radical feminist. Well, okay. Yeah, I am. Uh, (laughs) but the reason I am is because the human race isn't just men. Um, and yes, I'm aware of the argument that uh, man and uh, and he have for a very long time been used as uh, gender neutral uh, terms, mm. but they aren't <laughs> anymore. Nope. <laughs> I mean, regardless of, of whether or not they should have been before, they aren't now. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we use language differently. Language grows and changes. Uh, and I think it's really important for me as a person and as a woman to mm. feel as though I'm part of what's being said. Uh, and I don't mean just the forgiveness stuff. I mean like the sin stuff too. Like it's all, yeah. <laughs> it's all of us. Uh, and as part and parcel of that, um, there's so many stories about women in scripture that we just don't read in church. Um, and, mm. and it's fascinating to me how many people who've been going to church their whole lives you know, read the, read one of my books or they hear me tell one of these stories or whatever. And they're like, that's, that's in the Bible. Really? How come <laughs> I didn't know this story? Well, mm-hmm. we don't tell them. Nope. Uh, and they're, they're just as fascinating as and important as the, the men's stories. So 
That actually kind of got me into the describing the book. Sorry about that. <laughs> no, <laughs> that is who I am. That's the stuff that I care about. <laughs> you mentioned this idea that people have come up to you and have said, mm. "Oh my gosh, I read your book or I heard your sermon. I had no idea that story was in the Bible." And mm -hmm. I'm curious, do you remember? Was there a story like that for you that launched mm -hmm. you either into like your personal journey, just of Bible study, or that launched you into this book? For this book, maybe if I could phrase it a different way, um, one that I um, hadn't thought about really, um, that just sort of felt fairly surface and brief, uh, was the story about the Queen of Sheba. Um, mm -hmm. So she's, you know, she's mentioned she's in this in this uh, in this story with Solomon, and like I think people are, and I and I was you know familiar with her name, uh, that is the Queen of Sheba, but. Mm -hmm really didn't know anything about her um and then so i was like well as i normally do read the story first uh and read the story and go huh there's a little bit more here than i thought because someone had suggested her and then i started doing research on her and went whoa neat <laughs> uh so yeah i mean so and and she was not uh gosh she was probably midway through writing this book so um I, my point being Absolutely. There's got to have been somebody who, who sparked this long ago. I don't, I don't remember exactly who it was, but even in the middle of writing my second book about women in the Bible, there are people who popped up and I went, what? All right. I, I just want to do real quick. I just want to read some of your chapter titles, Alice, because they're okay. so good. <laughs> um, some of them have me kind of like, they felt like uh, song references that I really enjoyed. Uh -huh. um, so just before we get to Emily's question, Number one is, God is not a man. I'm every woman. It's all in me. Yes. <laughs> Sarah, have it all. Love little Whitney Houston, right? <laughs> right? Right? Sarah, have it all. Lose it all. You ready for more yet? <laughs> um, Hannah, I put my thing down. Flip it and reverse it. <laughs> yep. Um, Vashti and Esther, fierce-ass women. <laughs> Yes. So I feel like yes. that gives our readers a little bit of a taste of what you're up to in this book. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, thank you for that. Like, it's, it's one of those things that's interesting to me. Uh, in the Episcopal Church, one of the, the sort of offhanded things we say about ourselves is that we take the Bible seriously, but not literally. Um, mm. I would say I, I take a, a similar tack in my writing, I take it very seriously. These stories are super important, uh, super powerful and transformative. And also, they are stories. You know, they're, they're about people, whether they were real historical people or not. They're the stories that we tell ourselves over and over again and that, and that clearly have been important to us for centuries for a reason. And one of the reasons is they can be incredibly silly, you know? <laughs> And another reason is they can be incredibly violent and painful, and we have incredibly mm. violent and painful things that happen to us. So um, there's a it's not realism in the sort of literary sense, but it, but they connect to us in a very real sense. So I think humor and swearing is important to that. <laughs> I want to ask you about that later, but it's not my turn. It's Emily's turn. Oh, yes. Oh, Emily. Okay. <laughs> I was wondering if you could tell us a bit more about your writing process and like mm. how you got this collection of stories together and what it's like yeah. to kind of go down that path and how you found time for it um, because you do have so many other duties as 
a pastor and a campus minister and a mother and wife. And I mean, the, the sort of writing process, <laughs> uh, I'll be honest, involves <laughs> a lot of procrastination. <laughs> I did. I did turn this book in a month late, which was not great. Part of that was, um, like, I, I even say this in the introduction. I didn't want to write this book. Um, I wrote mm-hmm. Fierce out of deep love. Like I, mm-hmm. as I was saying before, like these stories um, are super important to me, and uh, and I think are super important to the the church and the world as a whole. Um, and so I had particular women that I wanted to talk about that kind of mm-hmm. came up for me, right? And then my editor sort of, after a number of years, said, I really think you should write a second one. And I was like, I don't want to. And she's like, you should. And I said, I want to. <laughs> yeah. And we went back and forth a lot. And finally, I said, fine, fine, I'll do it. And then there came a lot of procrastination of like, but, but who do right. I want to write about? Like, who's, I wrote about all the people I wanted to. Mm-hmm. Um, that's me just discussing how I didn't want to write it. Once, once I got into it, it the process <laughs> became, um, kind of making long lists of possible women um, mm. and then sort of discovering like one of the ones that when I sort of asked around with friends, like, who do you want to hear me write about? Uh, one of them was um, mm. Timothy's mother and grandmother. And I was like, Oh yeah, that's good. So I looked it up. I was like, there's literally one line referencing them. Mm. <laughs> like I can, I can extrapolate a lot of stuff, but no. <laughs> so, yeah. so, no. You, there have to be uh, lines to read between, to read between the lines. Exactly. If there's one line, there's nothing between. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's exactly right. Uh, but this, there, was, there was that process of sort of discerning who there was enough to write about. Um, mm-hmm. But then, like, the, sort of on the ground, the process is just doing a lot of research, reading a bunch of books, reading commentaries, um, and kind of there's a lot of uh, sort of stewing on the stories that I do um, sort of after mm. I've, I've researched and I've read them myself. There's a lot of just letting it sit and kind of what, what crops up for me, um, what mm-hmm. shows up uh, in my heart and my mind and in my body about these different, these different people, um, which is not at all helpful technical advice for anybody <laughs> other than, other than let it sit, you know, don't, don't feel like you have mm-hmm. to get something written down right this moment, you know, let it, let it settle with you for a little bit. So, yeah, so I did that. It definitely took me a little longer than I intended to. Um, but, but by the end, I fell in love with that. I mean, that's, that's something else I said mm-hmm. in the, uh, in the introduction, if I can flip into it right now. Yeah. Um, I said, rather like the moment when I took back my college boyfriend after our breakup and began to fall deeper in love with him every day until I couldn't bear to be parted with him. And now we've been married for over 20 years with two large children once I said yes to my editor, I began to love these ladies, too. <laughs> the other kind of component of this book is it's not just written work. Like, you have these beautiful portraits. Yeah. yeah. And my loving husband, he illustrated the first book as well. Um, and uh, I, I think it's kind of hilarious. Uh, I think we do work well together, though I think he might tell a different story. He got a little frustrated. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I gave him, I think I gave him freer reign in this one um, at times, but um, I mean, essentially what would happen is I would, I would write a chapter and, and, uh, and then I would, I would go to him and say, look, here's, here's this person's name and kind of here's what I'm saying about her. And then he would, you know, do a number of sketches, sometimes like a lot of sketches. (laughs) He's sitting in the same room with me. (laughs) (laughs) Probably thinking grumpy thoughts at me. (laughs) I'm thinking particularly, uh, was it was it uh, God is not a man that we really struggled with, Leighton? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he just said, 
<laughs> it got it got better after that, yeah. Uh, but yeah, no. So we we sort of had some collaborative conversations about that, and then he would create the art for for each chapter. Uh, oh. I love that. I I love his art, and uh, I love that he was willing to do it again. I feel like like your humor and just like this book is written. I think it's really hard to write convincingly and conversationally. Um, mm-hmm. And I just think you do that so well. And mm. the art like adds this layer of accessibility. Like I feel like I'm prepared and inspired, you know, to read a chapter yeah. to dive in once looking at it. Oh, so there are yeah. so many things that are so lovely about this book, but I really think that like you really thought about the reader yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, I appreciate you saying that about it being, um, I forgot the first word you said, conversational. And that's very much a goal. It's not always a struggle. It's just sort of how I write to be able to articulate clearly what I'm, what I'm thinking or what something is. Uh, for those who are into the Enneagram, uh, I, I do so that one, yes. I'm sort of a perfectionist. Uh, and there's a, there's a level of being right that's important. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's maybe the downside of it. Uh, but but I have I have noticed that in myself over the years that it's certainly not certainly not always true but but much of the time um, when I when I understand something I'm able to articulate it fairly clearly to other people in a way that is engaging. That's that's a good word for it. Um, yeah, so I appreciate that you picked that up. Yeah, mm-hmm. well, you're doing almost important translation work. You're you're kind of mm-hmm. breaking down some of this Christianese. Um, mm-hmm. And you have that training and you also are in that in-between space where you know how to speak um, mm-hmm. to regular people, right? People who don't have right, that background. Right. And that, I think, is a real challenge for um, the church today is to, like, how, how do we speak to the it people? Um, and it you is. just do it really marvelously. So I can't recommend yeah. the book enough. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you for that. I was, as you were saying that, I was thinking about um, – <laughs> One of the things that I do with my students uh, periodically is uh, Christianese is a really great word for it. There's so many things we say in the church that mm-hmm. other people don't know. Like, what does that even mean? Um, yeah. Like, yep. I, w- I was asking a student, I was like, oh, hey, can you, because we were we were doing worship, and I said, can, can you go bring me a, a purificator because I don't have one? And they went, oh, what? Oh, great. Let me tell you. <laughs> this piece yeah. of cloth that I put on the table underneath the plate it's called a corporal. The plate I put on top of it is called a patent. <laughs> we tell these words, but like, but then I say, like, you know, a purificator is a napkin. It's a fancy word yeah. for a napkin, right? Uh, Lutheran churches who are working on being RIC. What does that yes. mean? Nobody cares. It means reconciling in Christ, which means they're pro yeah. gay. But like, yeah. nobody outside Lutheran churches knows what that means. So. Like that's always, and I'm Episcopalian, so I'm like super into fancy words. I love that we mm-hmm. have words for weird stuff, but like right. we need to be able to communicate what those things are. Right. Otherwise, why would anybody care? No, literally, reconciling in Christ is such a good example of that. Like I follow them on Instagram, and I'm just, and I'm like, good that you're doing this because yes, but also. Why can't you just say you're <laughs> affirming? Like, <laughs> you know, like, well, this I don't. Yes. This is a phrase we use at the Edge House that I used uh, as a chapter title in my previous book, uh, which is say the thing. Just, just yeah. Say the thing, yeah. Guys. 
Yeah. Yeah. Because that's too fancy. In fact, more fancy it is, the less communicative it is sometimes. Yes. Yes. Thinking about communication, Alice, I was really struck by your humor in both fierce and in brave because one, it was funny. And I will say, Mm -hmm. pastors writing books and making jokes usually gives me an ulcer. And the reason I think that is is because what here's what my undergrad lit professor said is that humor has centrifugal force it's pushing outward against like the the hegemonic power and so pastors mm-hmm. when they usually use humor they have to be so careful because they're actually doing the opposite and it fights against it but mm-hmm. a lot of what your whole book and even so your your humor and you brought up swearing and you also bring up like the way that you style yourself um, pushes against the 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 hegemonic power of both mm-hmm. like masculinity but also femininity. I what yeah. tell it's not really a funny it's not a long story but I just went I went to a women's Bible conference once and I looked around at all the white women around me and I was like they are all dressed the same and then I looked down yeah. and I was like I am dressed the same hey. way you know. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, where'd that judgment go? Can you talk about humor and swearing and put and what that does? Because you're obviously yeah. doing it purposefully. But I'm also curious about in the publishing world and the Christian speaking world, there are all these new people who are coming in, I'm sure, with opinions mm-hmm. about your hair and your clothes sure. and your tattoos. And how do you navigate that? Yeah, well, I'm a steamroller at heart, so I just feel like over it, and it's fine. Uh, and then nice. I, and I, the anxiety I feel about it, I just, like, tuck down into my gut and, and uh, experience that later, and that's fun. <laughs> yeah. uh, no, it's true. I mean, there, there's some of that. I mean, I don't – I actually don't have any anxiety or, or frustration about the way I look and the way people respond to that. Um, mm-hmm. I, really, I feel very – comfortable and and confident in my skin yes um it's it's the sort of what are apparently controversial opinions <laughs> I, I don't think they should be but i mean i guess nobody thinks that opinion should be controversial uh i mean i don't think saying that black lives matter or that women's voices are just as important as men's voices or that you know queer mm-hmm. people are totally fine exactly as they are and and indeed loved and delighted in by god like that that doesn't feel like it should be controversial but apparently it is and swearing apparently is controversial which is i mean it's a get i don't want to make yeah. that sound like a gosh how could that possibly be uh but like but it also like when i when i really start to talk to people about it like the 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 conversation i often will have uh with sort of more evangelical oriented college students about it uh mm-hmm. you know like why well, don't why do you think it's okay to swear? Like, isn't that against scripture? It's not against God. I'm like, no, I don't think that. Like, there's actually a lot of swearing in scripture that we don't translate. Uh, and there's a lot of cursing, like not swear words, but like Jesus curses a fig tree. It was yeah. the season for figs and he wanted one. It's, it's like, what? what? Because, and this is literally what I say to them pretty regularly, not my students, they for the most part get it, but like other people who are upset that we mm-hmm. are okay with swearing is language, as I said before, changes all the time um, across mm-hmm. cultures, across centuries, even from at this point in, in our technological ventures, from week to week. Uh, and, and what is considered um, a swear word has shifted a lot over time. 
Yeah. Yeah. And yet cruelty continues to exist. And that Mm -hmm. is the issue. I am Mm -hmm. much more concerned about how we are cruel to each other with words than the precise words we use. Now, I I will make a specific caveat to say slurs are never okay. Um, I can be incredibly cruel to someone Mm -hmm. with no swear words at all. Is that okay? No, it's absolutely not okay. Um, but, you know, if I'm playing a board game with my students, and this happens regularly, <laughs> I'm playing a board game, and I'm like, oh, uh, side note, can I swear on this podcast? It's yep. Okay. It's okay oh, yeah. Okay, all right. Well, so I, if, uh, there's one particular student right now who constantly beats me at games or does the things that I don't want him to do in the middle of a game. I'm like, Isaac, fuck, what are you doing? No. <laughs> he knows I'm not, a, I'm not actually upset with him. It's just the sort of, like, the right. way we operate in the game, right? My point being that, yeah, I, I think it's important for us to recognize that distinction between language and cruelty and how we're using language. And I also think it's important um, to recognize that not only is there untranslated swearing in scripture, but more to the mm. point, and I, I've said this in all my books at this point, I think, scripture is already R-rated mm. in terms mm-hmm. of language, mm-hmm. in terms of the subject matter that it deals with, because our lives are. That's why it speaks to us. That's why it continues to speak to us after all these centuries is not because we want our lives to be R-rated necessarily, just that they are. It just is a thing, you know, sex and drugs and violence and all that. That's just, that's who we are. Uh, So I think it's important not to sweeten it up too much. Like, honestly, if you were to go to a Christian bookstore, I guarantee you 99.9%, if not all 100% of them, none of those books are going to have any swearing in them. And most of them are not going to deal with really heavy stuff in a way that's helpful. Yeah. yeah. It's all saccharine. Yeah. It's all going to be better someday. Yeah. Okay. Sure. But in the meantime, this is where we yeah. are. Mm-hmm. I, have, I have more to I can mm-hmm. about what I want. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. Katie and I were literally <laughs> just talking about that very thing. I was like, cause I was telling Katie, like, I've struggled with a lot of mental health issues. And so mm-hmm. I would go to the library and go to the Christian book section and be like, okay, who's got something to say about, you know, depression yeah, or yeah. suicide? Oh, anything. It, and right? yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's all the yeah. same. It's all mostly white authors, mostly men. If it is a woman, it's very uh, sweet. And like, if those books have been helpful to people, I'm glad, yeah. but yeah when you're it's all and it's oftentimes people looking back on the situation from a better place in their life whereas um yeah I feel like what your book does is it really puts people into the situations that the women you write about are in um which is another thing that I feel like Christian authors don't do a lot they don't like write from the perspective of like when you're Mm -hmm. in Mm -hmm. a tough situation like how do you actually feel Mm-hmm. And to acknowledge those feelings and acknowledge that it sucks. <laughs> yeah. 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 To get into that nitty gritty, like what you were talking about. I remember being taught like, oh, well, we don't swear because, you know, like it's not nice. And like, we want to set ourselves apart as Christians from the world. And it's like, mm-hmm. we're not. But then at the same time, like I grew up LCMS Lutheran. So at the same time, we're like, I'm a worm. I'm dirt. Like I am right. not worthy. So I'm like, okay, so we're not any better than anyone else. And yet, right. <laughs> like, yeah. So why are we trying to act high and mighty right. and set ourselves apart? Yeah. Well, I think part of the reason is you, you use that word nice. Like that's a, 
to me, that's almost a swear word. Like we use the word mm. ghost so often in the church. And that oh, is God, not yeah. what we are called to. We are right. not called to be nice. Like, right. It doesn't mean we're called to be mean. Like that's not anybody <laughs> listening. That's not what I'm saying. Right. Like nice. What? How, why is niceness the goal? Niceness means nothing. And if we're talking yeah, about no. you know sin, and whether people are uh, sort of experiencing the effects of it because someone else has sinned against them, or they're experiencing their own sin and the consequences of it, niceness is jack shit. What does it do for mm-hmm. you? Yeah, it, it truly doesn't <laughs> do anything. <laughs> it also it also feels particularly a requirement for women. Mm, oh, yeah. 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 Ladies yeah. don't swear. You yeah. have to be nice and smile. Oh, but listen, Proverbs 31 woman is a badass. You know, we interpret, well, her, as, we interpret yeah. her as nice and sweet and sort of the perfect homemaker. And, like, she does have mm-hmm. a lot of those things. That's, yeah, that's, like, but, how like, it's wielded by a lot of pastors and... Well, speaking of badass women, um, can yes. you, Alice, pick like, was there is there just a favorite one in this new kind of set of ladies that you really enjoyed kind of writing about? I really like Delilah. If for no other reason than we we really just don't know much about her, like mm. I, I got a whole chapter out of it, but like. <laughs> It's 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 sort of a fast like she's one like for a lot of these women uh, for both books like one of the things I like to invite people to do before they've read it I mean I oftentimes when I'm talking to people they've already read it and so I'm answering questions about the book but uh, before people read it I love to invite people to you know pick a, pick a handful of them from the table of contents and just start making a list of like what what do you know about them. Mm-hmm. What, what are the stories that you've been told? What are the things you sort of know in your gut about them? And then go read the story. Uh, this is a great tool that, that we did when I was in seminary. Can you believe we were in seminary? And our Hebrew uh, scriptures professor said, uh, but before we do anything else, let's just write down what all we think is in the, in the creation story. Tell me what's in Genesis 1 and 2. And so we, we said a bunch of stuff. And then we read it and we're like, oh, my God. <laughs> How much of that was not in there at all? Uh, anyway, uh, so I, I think it's really important. Delilah is fascinating because um, so many people talk about Delilah as this like trickster and like she's so deceitful and she she tricks uh, poor good Samson who's such a hero of the people and uh, you know isn't he mm-hmm. so wonderful? First of all, he is a jerk. His entire <laughs> yeah. story, he's a jerk. Like. I, I challenge you to find something redeeming about him. Um, maybe at the end he kills a bunch of Philistines, but I, that's not redeeming to me. Uh, yeah, nah. Like his whole story, he's, he's just a big jerk. And then she, we don't even know her. Like, could she really have deceived him? Uh, he loves her in the story, but it doesn't say anything about mm. her feelings for him. Uh, and the whole bit about like cutting his hair, it's, it's so interesting. Uh, mm-hmm. she says to him directly, how can I take your, your strength away? And he that blew my mind. Says, you can do this. And she's like, great. And she does it. And then she calls the cops or whatever. And he breaks out of it. He's like, oh, I'm very strong. And she's like, huh, that sucks. Okay. But for real though, like, how can I take your, like literally to him directly, how can I take your strength away? Three times this happens. She's very upfront about it. The fourth <laughs> time she asks him again, very upfront. 
He's like, oh, okay, this time I'm going to tell you the truth. After three times, she has literally tied him up and called the cops. Why does she think something different is going to happen? It works. He gets his hair cut. He loses his strength, blah, blah, blah. Like, why do we talk about her as deceitful? She was the most honest person in this story. Like, and I'm, I'm not saying, like, hooray, it's great that she then, you know, turned him over to the police. Though maybe. I don't know. Like, he was sort of mm-hmm. kind of awful. Uh, like, there's some amb- ambiguity there. But, like, I love her and a lot of these women because we think we know what their story is. But we mm-hmm. don't. And and it's important to me, not that my readers agree with me about how I interpret their stories, but that we are actually talking about the story that's there, not what mm-hmm. we've been told the story is. That's so powerful. Mm-hmm. I personally love the chapter about Vashti and Esther mm-hmm. for a similar reason okay. that I always dismiss Vashti. I'm always right. like, ooh, bad queen, bye. Right. <laughs> and I don't pay attention to her part. And then Esther kind of takes the center right. stage. So I love that you you partnered them together. Um, and so I'm just going to read a little section of it because I just thought yeah, it was please. really powerful. So we have this like, um, Vashti doesn't have to be evil to have refused the king, and Esther doesn't have to reject the whole patriarchal system to stand up to power. Vashti and Esther are not easy women to categorize, and I love them mm-hmm. for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a little bit further down, you have this wonderful sentence, the point of feminism is not to create a new set of requirements women must adhere to in order to be acceptable, but to allow women to choose their own paths whether they are loud or demure, public or private, nurturing or contentious. And I love, oh man, Alice, that just really, you really spoke to me. <laughs> Not to be yeah. myself, but like, I, you read that, I was like, yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, have, I feel like I, I have to give uh, credit where credit's due. Um, like, I, I do have my own sort of, obviously my own take on them, but, but like, I, have, I owe a lot to uh, Laverne McCain Gill's book, Vashi's Victory, uh, which I explained mm. in the appendix in the back of the book. Um, that's such a good book. And she, I think she did, takes maybe five women, I think, from scripture uh, and kind of interprets them through a, through a liberationist and, and a black feminist perspective. And it's a fantastic book. So recommend that. <laughs> Mm-hmm. That, that's where I got, like, I had always sort of been like at the back of my mind had been a little bit about Vashi. Like what's, What's going on with that lady? Uh, but I hadn't really given her a whole lot of thought until I read, until I read that, and I was like, "Oh yes, yes, let's go, let's let's mm-hmm. dive into Vashti because she's great. Um, there's more <laughs> to her than we think." So, and that that power of seeing, right, and that power uh, of really like what you're saying, like looking at the story that's actually there, and yeah. um, really kind of paying attention and, and slowing it down, and looking at all of the pieces and kind of unpacking kind of the the lenses um, and the ways of looking at these stories that maybe we've already, mm-hmm. you know, we think we know. Uh, right. I think that's also where your humor comes in and your um, just like really energetic writing. It kind of shakes up. You can't stay in that rut of how you always used to think when you're reading mm-hmm. this book. Like you're constantly, mm-hmm. it's so refreshing. Okay. Well, thank you. I was reading um, both Fierce and Brave. I was having a conversation like in my mind with other books that I've read. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. At, 
you know, how we just all bring our own context, you know, to these things. And a thing that kept coming to my mind was Tina Fey's Bossy Pants. Have you either read or listened to this book? I need to. My husband read it and loved it. And I adore, doesn't she have like a a prayer or something for her daughter? I think I read that. I don't remember that. I'm looking it up right now. But if you if you listen to her, well, I listened to this with some female friends on a road trip and we almost wound up, you know, off a cliff because we were laughing so hard we couldn't drive. But one of her stories she tells is about or she she says that she likes to ask women what when they knew they were a woman. And she Mm -hmm. says, unfortunately, Mm -hmm. it's never the story of. Well, my my debate team won, you know, state nationals and my parents took me to a steak dinner. It's usually, you know, I was walking down the road to my middle school and some guy yelled something horrible at me. Yeah. Um, and then yes. she tells the story of that happening to her. And she says something that if I repeat it on this podcast, my dad will faint wherever he is listening to it. But um, uh, I'm curious, do you know, do you have a story of when you knew, mm. oh, I'm a woman as not just like I'm female, I'm not male because you do talk about your identity and being, you know, a cisgender white woman mm-hmm. in this book. But do you know when you knew you were a woman? Yeah. So I uh, spend a lot of time with students who are trans or gender nonconforming. Mm-hmm. And, um, mm-hmm. One of the things that I have learned from them that I really appreciate um is how ambiguous gender is. Uh, I mean, I, that is, I, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a costumer. That's my, my um, theater training in, in college. Uh, and so I, I know about sort of fashion history and the recognition that like the way we perform gender, like that was not language I had when mm. I was in college, but I, I appreciate that. So, and, and, and not necessarily like it's performative and it's bad or whatever, just like, that's how we do like in our culture. Yeah. Our culture expects us to to look certain ways, um, and anymore it's not so much expecting us to wear skirts. Though there was definitely a time that that was a thing, but men are definitely yeah. expected to perform masculinity by not wearing skirts. Is mm. a thing. Um, yeah. It sometimes it has to do with makeup, but but there, there's like there's that whole concept of passing, right? Passing as a woman, mm. or, mm-hmm. or etc. Um, which I I say to say. I have been very aware from that training for a very long time that sort of the way we present ourselves with clothing and such is a performance. Um, that's mm-hmm. very much just part of my training, right? Um, so how am I, you know, what is my costume for the day? What am I communicating with what I'm wearing? Uh, like I'm, I'm literally looking at my clothes right now. I'm wearing ripped jeans and a sweatshirt. In what way does that communicate femininity? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and yet I still feel like I'm a woman, I think. So that was going to be my second point was, because uh, I'm, I'm not answering your question, apparently. Um, <laughs> uh, hanging out with these, with these students who are gender nonconforming, like what's one of the things that's been really interesting to me is sort of this recognition of, of, of asking myself that question. And this is not me coming out of gender nonconforming. It's me saying like, right, what does make someone a woman or yeah. a man? Like what, what, I mean, it's certainly one of those things might be your genitals, but it is not the only thing. Those are not uh, determinative. And, and I, I think <laughs> I fairly recently uh, I was talking to somebody, I was like, yeah, I feel like, I feel like I'm a woman because like, like the doctor said I was a, a 
female when I was born and society says I'm a lady and like, sure, fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't feel really wow. strongly about it mm-hmm. uh, in that sense. Um, but I, I will say, as a sort of an answer to your question, I think retrospectively, I would say sort of a collection of moments in junior high and high school, particularly in the church, uh, noticing, noticing that my story as a woman was not being told and noticing that allowed to people mm. and having mm. people not take that very seriously. Um, mm-hmm. Specifically noticing that women's stories are not being told and feeling like that was my story. That was nothing. Mm. Right. So like, I think that's the sort of identification moment when I felt like, Oh, a, I am, I am like these women, That that is who I am. And it does, as you say, kind of go hand in hand with, Oh, and what that means is, uh, I'm not as important. Shoot, man. I don't have a question to follow that with. Um. <laughs> well, Nick, Nick, can I ask you guys a question? Yeah. Sure. Um, so we've, we've talked about a bunch of different stuff and kind of you've, you've pulled things out. Was there a moment as you were reading this, as you were flipping through, of something that um, surprised you? Or something that made you feel uncomfortable as you read? Yes. How much time do you have? <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> um, well, one thing that surprised me that, again, I was literally just yelling at Katie about before we um, started this meeting was uh, <laughs> um, like, I was like, yeah, why the fuck isn't Miriam mentioned ever again? Like, what is that? Like, that was surprising to me. Um, Miriam just like being there and she watches baby Moses go down the river and then she kind of like fades in the background and then she comes back and she sings a song and then she goes away again and like but then in your book you talk about like she was a prophet like and so that seems like a pretty big deal and so yeah it's like why what is she doing like I want to know what she was doing the whole time that she was with the Israelites in the desert and Mm -hmm. what was she doing I mean was she watching Moses grow up because like she knew who he was because she watched him get picked up by the princess so yeah that that surprised me to realize that yeah we really don't hear anything about her and then she just dies (laughs) But I guess that, I don't know, and your book kind of talks about this a little bit too, but it kind of speaks to the fact that like the Bible was probably mostly written by men and like it's oftentimes viewed through a male perspective and it has been historically. So that could be why we don't maybe know as much about some of these women, especially the ones that like you were saying, there's one line about them and not a lot more is known. Um, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So that that was one thing that surprised me. Yeah, love it. What what else? I, I'm putting on my pastor hat. What else surprised you? Um, <laughs> in Brave, I was really shaken up by your um, talking about. Oh, I hope I'm not confusing these two books about Ezekiel. Is that in Brave oh, or is that in first? Yeah, that's fierce. Oh, yeah, that's fierce. Oh, okay. But go for uh, it. But, yeah, talking about these passages where God sounds like a really abusive boyfriend to mm-hmm. 
Israel and Jerusalem. And I, yeah, I kind of had to take off my youth, youth ministry hat, Emily, like you said, and go, you don't have to sit here and explain that to yourself right now, Katie. Why don't you just Mm. sit with that? Mm -hmm. Um, And I was also, also in the first book, I promise I'll talk about brave, but um, the chapter, and I can't, I'm not sure I can pronounce her name, but God had a wife probably. And I thought, this Mm -hmm. is not something I think I've ever delved into in a Christian context because the whole thing about monotheism is like, one, we, you know, all these other religions, they have a male and female God and sex creates the world and this is different. Mm -hmm. And so that's something I I need to raid the the references on that one to kind of Mm. learn, you know, get more. But I think in, in Brave, I'm confident this one's in Brave, where you say, did you know... Well, A, Miriam is the first person to be declared a prophet. That, I think, mm-hmm. my jaw hit the floor. Because I've told people yeah. before you know, about the whole ministry thing. I'm like, guys, the first evangelist of the gospel was a woman. Yeah. That's not yeah. disputable. The first no. evangelist ever to tell Jesus' story of his resurrection was a woman. But the fact that then Miriam is the first prophet, I just, you had to sweep me up with a broom. I was so mm-hmm. astonished. <laughs> Yeah. And then yeah. um, it's the like fact that the, the whole time, I know it's like we've been there the whole time. The fact that, <laughs> and like, I'm not surprised that um, female imagery has been used to describe God. I knew that. But when you said the only uh, reproductive or genital organs that God is ever <gasps> referenced to have is a uterus. Again, I just sure. sat there and stared at the word uterus for like 50 <laughs> yeah. seconds. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. Again, I have to give credit for that too. That's, that's a, uh... Uh, that's Wilda Gaffney. What's her name? Uh, Dr. Wilda Gaffney. Mm. Brilliant that her book, Woman is Midrash, is also mm. must buy, I think. Must read. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I love that. I, I read that in her book and I went, oh my God, that's right. <laughs> like, I, I knew I had to follow yeah. up with it and, like, you know, look look into it more deeply. But I was like, no, that that is exactly right. I literally have no memory of any language referring to like God's penis or testicles. Cause yeah. it's not there. Yeah. Because not firsts there. and onlys are really important in like mm-hmm. scripture analysis. Mm-hmm. And for mm-hmm. these things not to be brought up when other things are, uh, you know, centering men. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Yeah, and and again, just a reminder because I imagine that your audience is is not just uh, women who are angry about this. Uh, you probably have some yeah. uh, some gentlemen out there, uh, and also some some women who are like, yeah, but what about the guys? I'm like, listen, look, I'm married to a guy. He's great. I'm down yeah. with dudes in general. Uh, the issue right. is not the issue is not is masculine language bad. Uh, it's mm-hmm. it's raising up feminine language as well. That, that they mm-hmm. are both important. They are both communicative. I, I make the point similarly to when we say Black Lives Matter, we're not saying only Black Lives Matter. What we're yeah. saying is mm-hmm. what we have said is only White Lives Matter. What we're saying is right. Black Lives Matter right. too. Women's voices yeah. and female language for God matters too. So yeah. important. Oh, Alice, I love that you started Brave, though, with a chapter about God is not a man. Like, yes. I think that was my, like, stand up and slow clap moment. <laughs> like, oh, we're going there. We are yeah. doing it, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, did, I was um, trying to figure out yeah. how do I order the chapters in this book because it's, it's not the same way that we did it in, uh, in Fierce. Partly because... Mm-hmm. 
most of the chapters in this are about the Hebrew scriptures rather than uh, the Christian. Um, and uh, mm. so it was like, well, okay, so, so what, what makes sense here? And I was like, well, let's just, let's just hit the ground running. <laughs> the elephant in the middle of the room. We're like, well, we're talking about how female matters. We got it. We got to tackle this. Mm-hmm. But I just want to read this quote that um, I think I, cause you're, you're talking about like raising up, feminine language and then you have the section about just like how we don't have language right um our words Mm -hmm. are pointlessly small and we struggle to find just the right ones to describe what we're feeling about god but alice like i've I've read i've read people talk about how god you know it's not just kind of this masculine kind of father but Mm -hmm. this i feel like fits that surprising but it also brought tears to my eyes and i think Mm -hmm. it's my favorite part so i'm just gonna read a little bit but um, but this brings, so you, you say this brings up a really important question, a really important question. What is God actually like versus how we talk about God? So God is like the first sunny day at the end of winter that lets us breathe deeply and realize that life is worth living. God is like the gurgling and delighted laughter of a baby. God is like a brother standing ready at our side in the face of an enemy God is like a fierce mother storming into the principal's office to protect her daughter and all the daughters. And mm. God is like a soothing father that sits with us in the bathroom while we're throwing up, handing over a cool cloth or gently rubbing our backs. Mm. And man, Alice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cause it, oh. So can you talk about like, it, have you always thought about God like that? Is this, I don't know, how did you get yeah. here? How did you get to this point? I mean, to, to the extent that I had language for thinking mm. about God. Yeah, I think not, I mean, I mean, obviously I wrote those words like a year ago, but like, yeah, yeah, my, I mean, the bit about a father rubbing their back, like when you're sick, that's literally what my dad did. Um, mm-hmm. He was, he was the one who would wake up in his embarrassing, tattered, bathrobe and sort of without his glasses and stumble into the bathroom and kind of at two in the morning not awake and, and rub my back and not be and you know I knew yeah. and he knew that he couldn't make me not sick yeah he was there with me you know and that that just mm. has always since I since I had the sort of wherewithal to think about what God was like yeah that that moment for sure. Yeah. And uh, absolutely. I mean, this is, this is very sort of traditional feminine, but that's okay. I am a mom. Um, you know, the, the, the moment when definitely not the first moment I held my daughter uh, labor was rough for me, but, uh, but I mm. do recall very strongly being up late at night, trying to feed my daughter when she was tiny, she was not a good eater and it was a real struggle. Um, and oh. I remember looking at her, little scrunched up face and and weeping because I had sort of realized oh we we don't call God a parent because we have parents I mean that's part of it but we, we call God a parent because so many of us become parents and we look at our children and we and this feeling that I'm having looking at this baby this is how God feels about us but mm. more <laughs> <laughs> I, I think yes. Uh, I think I have thought about God that way. It's it's interesting that you mm-hmm. ask that question because um, I've, I've been on a bunch of podcasts for for Fierce and How to Human, and, and I'll dive in diving in now for this one. Uh, and I, I've been on a lot of 
what I would call sort of ex-evangelical or deconstructing podcasts. Yes. Um, yeah. Where folks are coming from a, a more literalist evangelical tradition. And they mm-hmm. ask me questions like, gosh, like, what's it like to be a, a female pastor? And I'm like, fine. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't, like, I don't have the context of I wasn't allowed right. to do it. It was always fine. Yeah. Or like people coming out of purity culture. Like we, uh, when Nadia Baltzweber mm-hmm. wrote her book, Shameless, um, and mm-hmm. I, I bought it not because mm-hmm. I love Nadia. And like, I read it and I was like, okay, I mean, I like Nadia and I like her writing, but like this book yeah. did not speak to me. And two of my students right. read it and they came back and they were like, we had to, like every couple of pages had to put it down and go cry for a while. Um, yeah. And I was like, what? Like, I just yeah. don't have that experience. <laughs> and I, <laughs> the more I hear people talk about it, the more I thank God that I don't have that experience. But uh, my, point, right. my point being, what is my point? <laughs> my point is, <laughs> I, don't, I, I, I saw and I definitely grew up with some level of you're not allowed to do this because you're a girl not you're not allowed to Mm. be a priest but like there's there's you know your story isn't present in the sunday morning readings and you know when you speak up about things we don't listen to you as much as we listen to the voice like i I definitely had that experience Mm. um but i never really had the experience that god is an old white man in the sky Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, saw other, I saw other people yeah. have that experience and I, I feel like I got the sense that I was supposed to think that mm. but I never did well and that's why so it's so important that you're in leadership it's so important that you're writing these books like mm-hmm. it's so important to present that um kind of picture and understanding um as mm-hmm. something that's always always has been and always will be true but mm-hmm. maybe there's some things that we have to work through, but that we could like yeah. that you're raising your kids to not have like I always God was a judge in the sky watching, you know, all the things I did and be like, well, that's and she's in mm-hmm. trouble again. Mm-hmm. She did the bad thing. <laughs> um, yeah. Very literally. Well, I, I, right? say, I do wonder what they hear in church on Sunday. Like, like I, yeah. I bless them. I, I love I love the congregation that I serve, but they use very masculine language uh, when when there's language spoken up. They, we we do use NRSV and stuff, so so there's a lot of like brothers and sisters language. So like the, the actual scripture yeah. is less uh, like humans are spoken of sort of more broadly, uh, but where God is referenced, it's usually He still in songs and in worship, yeah. and you know it, it it really makes me feel uncomfortable. Um, mm. yeah. like increase like sort of with every passing day it's like a little bit more uncomfortable <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and like what what is my daughter hearing when mm-hmm. we do that, what is that and Alex, you, you mentioned you some good historical reference for some of these things where you said English speakers have been using a singular they for a long time oh, yeah long time and that's yeah. something time. I didn't rec- realize I thought that was a um a, a recent innovation mm-hmm. and it's like oh mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I mean, there there are some historians that say it goes back to even the 1300s. I think most of them would say it's not quite that, oh. but but it's still you know Renaissance. Um, mm-hmm. So that's fascinating. Yeah. I know we've we've been doing that for a long, long time, and even even without that, even if it, I mean, it is old, but even if it weren't old, pretty much everybody uses they as a gender neutral all the time anyway. Hey, somebody yeah, has yeah. sunglasses here. I hope they come back to get them. We, we do it without yeah. thinking. 
So why is it a problem to use it for a particular person when they ask us to? Anyway. <laughs> but like, but I, I, that's, that was actually, a, a, I really enjoyed, like that was a great moment when I sort of like, oh, oh, right. They is really the best pronoun to use to refer to God because, because the word they itself has that sort of ambiguous meaning already. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. great. <laughs> like that, that's perfect. What a, what a, what a wonderful way that our language actually works for us. Yes. Yeah. That social singular. Well, team, we are coming up on no. our hour, and I know Alice has dinner, yeah. but Alice, yes. I, I think just one more question just to close this out. Um, thinking about all the different kinds of people who are going to read this book and have this book in their hands, do you have any just like hopes for just their mm-hmm. hearts or just hopes for this book in general? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, my hope for for the writing that I do for my preaching for my ministry, all of it is for folks to realize that there's possibility Um, that in any given Mm -hmm. moment, what we think has to be objective truth doesn't necessarily have to be. Uh, I was just speaking with a student the other day. I really don't remember how this conversation started, but I said something and they just looked at me and they had that sort of steam coming out of their ears, thoughtful face on. And I went, <laughs> they went. They went. Sorry, you're just go back again and say this part again. <laughs> and it was. It was sort of. I had said something that just sort of flat out contradicted the stuff that they had had grown up with, and stuff that mm-hmm. they are currently trying to deconstruct out of because of how hurtful it was. And they had just. They. Mm-hmm. They just hadn't got to the to, to the to the moment of going like, oh, there's another way to think about that. And that's like that mm-hmm. to me is is one of the most important things that human beings can do, certainly religious folk, but human beings in general, is to recognize that our experience is not universal. Mm-hmm. What yep. I think I know yes. isn't all there is. Um, yeah. When we talk about Black Lives Matter, right. it's not just, well, like from my perspective, you shouldn't really be having a problem. Sure, they shouldn't be having a problem. And yet they are. So. Right. Right. Let's open our minds and hearts to the possibility that there's something else that we don't know, that we haven't experienced. Um, and so mm-hmm. bringing that universal idea back down to the, to the book, my hope is very much that, that folks who read it across genders, across races, uh, though I don't flatter myself that it's, that it's necessarily for black people because I have a very white perspective. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. I would love to hear from, from people of color uh, how they feel about it, for sure. Uh, but I would love for people to read this book and have a moment of going, huh, I hadn't thought about it that way before, mm. whatever that is. Yeah. And don't necessarily have to agree with my interpretation. Just recognize that there's other ways to look at it. That's, yeah. like, to me, the most important thing that I can offer people. And then I think that's one of the most important things we can invite ourselves to do. Yeah, for sure. Oof. Wow, Alice. <laughs> <laughs> Alice, thank you so, so much for being generous with your time and joining us. And I want to say thank you to Chandler Meter, who t- who caught me in uh, Rose Street Cafe and said, you should talk to yes. Alice Connor about her new book. Yes, love Chandler. <laughs> Chandler. Hi, Chandler. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank we you love so, so much, much for having me. This is, this is a great conversation. Oh, thank you, Alice. We loved getting to visit with you because we don't get to see you too terribly much, you know, with you know, Corona. Miss Rona. (laughs) All right, everyone. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye. Bye.